Today I'm going to talk about happiness in a certain particular, from, from a certain perspective, which I'll share with you in a minute. But what I, what I want to base this discussion on is a section in the Dhammapada, which is entitled Happiness. And it's the verses, and I'm going to show you on the screen in a minute, but I thought I would just read it first to give you a sense of it. Oh, by the way, sorry, um, Nita's here. Yeah, yeah she did. <laughs> she said hi, okay. <laughs> hi again. <laughs> okay, so the, this section of the Dhammapada is the verses 197 to 208, and it goes like this. Let us live so very happily, kind among the hostile, among hostile people, let us live with kindness. Let us live so very happily, healthy among the ailing. Among ailing people, let us live health, healthily. Let us live so very happily, content among the greedy. Among greedy people, let us live content. Let us live so very happily, we who have nothing. We shall feed on rapture like the gods of streaming radiance. Victory breeds enmity, the defeated sleep badly, the peaceful sleep at ease, having left victory and defeat behind. There's no fire like greed, no crime like hate, no suffering like the aggregates, no bliss beyond peace. Hunger is the worst disease, Sankara are the worst suffering. For one who truly knows this, Nibbana is the highest happiness. Health is a highest, the highest blessing, contentment the highest wealth. A trustworthy person is the best kinsman, Nibbana the highest happiness. Having drunk the nectar of seclusion and the nectar of peace, Free of stress, free of evil, one drinks the joyous nectar of Dhamma. It's good to see the noble ones. Staying with them is always blissful. You'd always be happy to not see fools. For one who consorts with fools grieves long. Painful is dwelling with fools, like being stuck with your enemy. Happy is dwelling with a sage, like meeting with your kin. Therefore, follow a sage, wise and learned, steadfast in virtue, true to their vows, noble. Follow a good and intelligent person such as this, as the moon tracks the path of the stars. So I wanted to just... You saw, dude, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to... Um, to share the screen for this. Um, it's probably in there. It's in there. Just have to mm -hmm. switch over here. So I think you can see it now. So I, I started with Bhante Sujato's translation and then I changed a few things. Um, that I like better, and I might have to uh, do a little editing more, but we'll see as we go through. So I'm, I'm giving this talk about happiness, um, 
but it's also actually about um, some of our deepest times of suffering. So I asked someone what I should talk about today, and they said, talk about, I'm going to read my note, talk about utter discouragement, deflation and defeat. Like when you feel like Mara's winning this round. Um, when I heard the description, I thought it's like feeling like you've been through a meat grinder. And of course, this can really happen to us, you know, one thing after another coming along that's hard to take. And what do we do? How do we how do we come back from that? How do we develop resilience? How do we develop stability? And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering what I what I called the worst year of my life. Um, this was long before I met the Dhamma. I was living in California with a single mom with my two teenage children. And I had a job I really liked. Um, I was in a good relationship. Um, I had just bought a house. I was happy. And then the worst year started. <laughs> the first thing was that the company I was working for decided to leave uh, California. And they were going to a part of the country that I didn't want to go to. And my kids didn't want to move, which I could totally understand. And so I had to find a different job, which I did, fortunately, but it was stressful. And then shortly into the job, very shortly, really, my son riding his bike home from school got hit by a drunk driver and went to the hospital with a broken leg and a brain concussion. And he had a puncture wound in the back of his calf that I could put my finger in like up. I didn't, but if I did want to, my finger would go up to like the second knuckle into that. The kickstand had punctured his leg. That's what broke it. And I had to dress this wound twice a day where I had to roll up uh, sterile gauze and stick it in there. And, you know, it's just caring for someone, of course, is a beautiful thing, but with working and, you know, it was hard. And then my relationship broke up. And I was so sad, so depressed. I didn't want to, I just wanted to go into bed and hide under the covers. <laughs> that was, that was it. <laughs> and of course I didn't. Um, but it just felt like too much. And then I had this health scare where I was told I had a tumor. Anyway, it felt like the worst year of my life. And without the Dhamma, it's, it's hard to remain steady. But that's in the past. And it's it's just a good reminder of how life can throw one thing after another at us. 
sometimes. And then to think about how the Dhamma helps us to be resilient and where to put our attention when this is the kind of thing we're going through. So living happily, let us live so very happily, kind among the hostile. Now the Pali word that I'm using for where I'm using the word kind could also mean peaceful. So peaceful among the hostile or friendly, friendly among the hostile. Among hostile people, let us live with friendliness or let us live peacefully. Let us live so very happily, healthy among the ailing. And I don't think that the Buddha means here that it's not just physical health, you know, like it's, I think about that teaching he gives where regardless of the health of the body, we have the healthy mind. So it's like, let us live happily with this healthy mind among people who are not living in a healthy way. So, you know, like hearing someone this morning saying, you know, being around people who aren't practitioners can make it harder for us to stick with uh, maybe with I don't know what was happening in that instance but you know having our attention on things that are important that help to lift us up that are virtuous you know that can be challenging let us live very happily content among the greedy even though you know, it, it can be hard around people who are really, um, the values are much more about acquiring or uh, gaining things. And then, you know, can we live content anyway? Living happily, having nothing, but turning to inner peace, inner joy feeding on rapture. Sometimes when things are really hard, it's hard to meditate, of course, and that's also normal, but finding some aspect of the Dhamma to help us, any, any um, glimmer of light uh, that comes through can be something that, you know, draws us, that we follow. You know, whether it's chanting or listening to a Dhamma talk or walking meditation or just being out in nature, or, you know, finding whatever source of wholesome focus to help us. Sometimes, you know, when things are really hard, we have to just focus on the moment. You bring your attention in. You, you keep from keep ourselves from going out too far into the future and just, you know, be present in this moment, be stable for this hour, um, get through this afternoon, through this day. And then, you know, like things change. It changes, it gets better, the mind clears, the mind accepts. Victory breeds enmity. So, you know, this is the kind of thing where I think it's not just about war, of course, it's about, you know, competition. It's about trying to um, beat out our rival or 
It's about winning or losing the argument. When at some point in our development, we recognize that it's much more beneficial to be kind, to be happy than to be the winner. And it's better to give way. Um, there's no fire like greed. So knowing that our desires are, are the cause of so much suffering, there's no crime like hate. So how, we, how our mind is, is disposed, what's the state of our mind? Again, so crucial, no suffering, like having five aggregates. <laughs> no bliss beyond peace. I mean, there's no, there's no bliss greater than peace. When it says here that hunger is the worst disease, I think that can mean physical hunger, but it also is that hunger craving. And so many, so much of the time we have that kind of hunger, or sometimes the Buddha uses thirst instead. If we're, if we are hungry or thirsty, when we actually have food and water, metaphorically, you know, if we actually already have enough, or we're still wanting more, that's a desire that never gets fulfilled. So it's like there's no end to that. And when we know that, and we can see that come up in ourselves, then we can let go. So the Sankara, of course, is conditioned things. And um, I can't remember what the original translation was, but I plugged Sankara in there because just knowing that it's like everything in this world, um, it just all has this limitation of being impermanent and not self. When we truly know this, then we know that Nibbana is the highest happiness. And I really appreciate this part about a trustworthy person. Um, this is the person that feels more like family maybe than anyone that we're related to. Um, where it's really, um, really beautiful if people we're related to are trustworthy. Having drunk the nectar of seclusion and the nectar of peace, free of stress, free of evil, one drinks the joyous nectar of the Dhamma. So how do we get to that uh, from that place of having maybe feeling like bombarded by the disappointments and pressures and, you know, I can't think of a, another, like the, the, the attacks of samsara. I mean, it's like, it's really through turning around, not looking at what, other people are saying or doing, not looking at, um, you know, imagining what could happen. 
And one thing I didn't say about that um, terrible year I had was that when that relationship broke up, it wasn't so much about missing him. It was the shattering of my dream to have my family be complete again. That was the the ideal in my mind. I didn't even realize it at the time. It took time, it took reflection to see that that was really what was so hard to take, giving that idea like that image of what is a complete family. It has the husband, father there. And so letting go of that and seeing that it's complete already with my beautiful children, um, that's, it's like so much of the suffering comes because of our our views. We have these ideas that we want fulfilled. And when they go against um, nature, you know, like we want this perfect picture completed, and it isn't the way nature works, then we suffer. And then, of course, these verses about the noble ones are so beautiful. Knowing that there is a development on the path available to us and that we can keep those kinds of friends and associates around us. And sometimes that in itself can be the the one light in the darkness that helps us go forward um, having a good friend <coughs> even if a person gets to a point where we feel miserable about ourselves if we have that good virtuous friend we can reflect on if they're willing to be my friend then I must not be so bad. I know that may sound um, pretty dark, <laughs> but sometimes we can be in a dark place and we need to find our way out or know that we can have the endurance to let that, let that condition dissolve. and see the light of day. So I'm interested in hearing what this might invoke for you and any questions you might have or comments or sharing. Welcome, Stephen and Lillian.
Have you ever had these kinds of dark times? Um, that was beautiful. Th thank you for for reading that and talking about that. I. Uh, that part of the about hate, uh, the crime of hate, oh, that resonates me with so deeply. I so I'm uh, in in an hour or so. I'm about to to go see my ex-wife, probably for the last time. Uh, she's she's dying and. Uh, and we had a really, I haven't spoken to her in almost 15 years. And uh, we had a very bitter relationship. And I, I don't think I've ever really hated anyone uh, except her. And I, 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 just saying that out loud kind of makes me feel... Uh, just a little bit lost of how do I then to approach her her bedside uh, and I it feels um, it feels gone it feels like uh, the resentment is gone and yet it I'm afraid afraid of uh, of uh, that it's still there in some way uh, and I don't know really what I'm afraid of and maybe it's just because beneath that there was once this really beautiful relationship that produced a wonderful daughter and um And it just feels like, oh, there's still love there that I that I don't want her to die. And and yet there are times when I've wished for this very thing, uh, which was very abusive to my daughter. And I'm and I don't know what to do. I don't know how. Except to uh, be here and uh, and to treat this as a a sacred moment, like this is right now, speaking to you. This gift that I've been given, what a tremendous gift this is, to be able to reflect on this uh this ritual of of being with someone while they die that i could never have gotten here uh the way that i was going without being introduced to the dharma without without you i without this sangha that uh i'll be okay i am okay and um and it really is possible, I, I believe. It feels like it's really possible 
to let go of hate. And that, uh, so it's it's wonderful to be here to uh, to to carry you with me as I as I go through this. I feel so much less alone now than I did a half hour ago. So thank you. Thank you, Denny. Yeah. Sometimes we're really able to see what part of our experience and our feelings and our thoughts are really nonsense, all the negativity. And then we can just say, I'm, I'm setting that all aside. We just put it down and love. Going back to the part that's the love. When everybody makes mistakes, we all go through these feelings. Sometimes we're skillful and sometimes we're not. And other people are the same. Can we just forgive? See what's really important. The image of you that she can take with her in case you meet again, may it be with kindness. Thank you. Hannah. Thank you, Aya. Thank you for reading that. I. I remember the first time that I heard that sutta, it was um, my best friend and I were, I think we were at a, a Zoom retreat and the teacher was reading it and talking about it. And I remember the first time that I heard the section, there's no fire like greed, no crime like hate, no suffering like the aggregates, no bliss beyond peace. That small section just made so much sense to me. It's like it brought it all together, all of what I experience and the hindrances and, you know, the causes and conditions of why I think some of the things that I do, why I suffer with the things that I do. And it was just this immense amount of comfort that four lines could provide such understanding and since hearing it, you know, my best friend, he loved it so much. It's now his, uh, the signature for his email because he just wants to share just the, the comfort that comes from those lines. And, you know, even for people who are not on the path, uh, I think that it can still be encouraging and recognizing now with my reflections of even the part that you spoke about with the hunger and seeing how I have been hungry and thirsty my whole life, not for hate and not for, for greed, but for craving. I have been hungry and thirsty for things to be different than they are. And I have wasted so much of my life in suffering of 
being 10 steps ahead or 500 steps ahead and just missing out on what's happening right now. And, and now that I have that understanding, I am in a place and I have been for the last three years since my car accident that I spoke about last week and having seven surgeries in a year and a half and now finding out that I need to more and still suffering from the cognitive deficits of a brain injury and all these things. And it's all piling up at once and, and I'm not reacting to it. I'm responding. And I think that is, and I know that's all to do with the Dharma and all to do with what this is talking about is understanding that it's only as painful as I allow it to be because I'm choosing the suffering and I'm, I'm choosing that second arrow. And, and now I find myself really trying to use equanimity to balance between allowing myself to feel the feelings when they are and almost jumping ahead to, to that compassion of, and I'll be okay. Cause I tend to do that. I am, I've always been very optimistic and it has served me very well. And I think it has also harmed me in when I'm living from top to bottom. So from mind to body, then I get my mind okay before my body is okay. And then I just store all of that energy in my body. So now I'm really trying to focus on the balance of feeling the feelings as they're there and not rushing through them. And I, I recognize that I can tend to use the Dharma in a way of aversion to be like, well, it's out of my control. And, and right now it's like this. And that is true. And my body still has a right to feel disappointment and pain and sadness. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. It, it's an amazing bal balance. Is that the right word? You know, like you said, not going into either the um, identification with feeling and, and it, taking it like it's me and mine, being lost in it, overwhelmed by it, awash in it, but to just be present with, with it, but to really be present with it, like you said, not rushing ahead, not not shoving it under the rug and and knowing the whole time that it's going to change it's not always going to feel this way and what are the things that we bring into our life that help us to let go of those feelings let let them pass in their own time and i like what you're saying about the body it's like I want to be with this body, even though it's in pain. Physical pain is one thing. The emotional pain that goes through our body is another thing. And that one we can let shake off, process through. Thank you.
let's take a, a little time to meditate. Just get comfortable. Just a few minutes. Well, let's see, we've got some time. Maybe we'll take about 20 minutes. We'll see if there's anything else people would like to, to discuss. So always when we begin helping the body to be as comfortable as it can be, It's so beneficial that the Buddha talked about meditation, sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. Basically, we can meditate in any posture. Have your back relatively straight. Relax your arms and legs. Take a few deeper breaths. Let go of tension in the body. Check the state of the mind. Regardless of whether the mind is in a negative mental state or a positive mental state, we can still smile. Smile in resonance with a happy, uplifted mental state or a smile in kindness and compassion for a mind that's stressed and suffering. So when we check on the mental state, on the state of our mind. What is that, that knowing, that seeing, that observes the mind? We know we are not that mental state. You don't have to own it or identify with it. It's kind of like the weather report. Whatever is there is passing through. And we can bring things into our mind to shine some light to bring some relief. And think about the beautiful qualities of the Buddha or maybe someone else in our life, someone we look up to. We can think about the beautiful qualities in ourselves.
our own kindness, our own compassion, our own virtue. our own generosity, our own wisdom. And if we can't think of that right now, we can remember our good friends, our loved ones, our teachers, our companions on the path. We can remember the beautiful teachings that turn us away from competition, envy, anger, hatred, superiority, inferiority, desire, and ground us and settle us in peace and contentment. An understanding and feeling of what's noble and true the Dhamma, immediately available right here, right now. We might blame ourselves for things or blame others for things. But my experience is that the Dhamma is so much more generous. The things we've done wrong, when we turn to do things differently, we bring in the wholesome. The unwholesome fades. It can be forgiven, let go of. That as we settle the mind, We use our meditation object to bring the mind to stillness, and spiritual happiness begins to come in.
lifting up the mind. And the unwholesome things in life, the unwholesome actions, the down-pulling thoughts, fade, dissolve. And what comes into that space is happiness and joy, love, kindness, acceptance. And if we get to the point where the mind becomes very, very still, even for a moment, without disturbance. We also may find wisdom arising there, leading onwards to deeper understanding, to a knowing, that changes our entire life.
something I want to um, bring attention to that we've talked about many times before, but to remember that we suffer because of the way we think. And even saying that was the worst year of my life, that was the label I put on it then. And by the way, I forgot to say that I did, I broke my collarbone during that time too, which was part of the depression, the depression. It was like, <laughs> but that label, in a way, you know, we can use a label to, um, to help us, but it can also be used as a way of emphasizing the, the negativity. And we have to be careful about that. Um, when we reinforce in our mind how bad it all is, um, we bring more suffering. When we do as the Buddha did and, and talk about the naturalness of these things. This is what happens to human beings. It's not only happening to me, it happens to many people. It's happening to many other people right now, <laughs> whatever it is. And that we can, um, you know, find ways to take it in stride make our stride stronger, longer. Yeah, Neil? Yeah. Um, during the, the meditation, I had an observation. And um, so I'm here this morning with my very sick cat who I've been trying to nurse in different ways for several weeks now. And, and I was thinking, well, so while you were speaking, she went over and started eating some food and she hasn't want, she hasn't been able to eat for several days now. And even like if I open a can of something that she likes and she gets the aroma, she comes, but then I put it out for her and she sniffs it. And it's, it's as if it makes her, you know, like, like I would say it would it make me gag to smell it. So it's like, she can't eat it even though she wants it. And just while you were talking earlier, she went and ate a lot more than she has in days. And I was so happy about that. Meanwhile, when, when we're done here, I take her to the vet for a follow-up. And for the past several days, I've been assuming, because she hasn't been eating, that this is going to be the end for her. And so what I'm getting to is I had this observation that human beings, we have this ability something that separates us from animals, particularly cats in this case, is that we have an ability to observe our cravings, which therefore we have the ability to end our own cravings and achieve sort of the ultimate happiness. Cats don't have that 
type of consciousness, as far as I can tell. And so it seems to me that the life of a, in the life of a cat, the ultimate happiness is in satisfying their cravings. Mm-hmm. And so what I started thinking was, well, if she's still in a place where she can satisfy her cravings, she still has spirit in her. And what I hadn't anticipated is that when I go now at 11 o'clock, unless the vet tells me something completely different, I'm going to ask for another hydration tube uh, bag and keep hydrating her until she's at a place where she absolutely shows no desire at all. So it just struck me as interesting that what I see in her, this this essence of desire is such a positive thing that I'm seeing in her. Mm -hmm. I don't know quite where I'm going with this, but I'm, I'm just happy that I had this observation because she's laying down now and I mean, I'm projecting somewhat, I'm sure. I feel like she's relatively contented. You know, the thing is, I've never had the sense that she's been in any pain. You know, if, if that were the case, I would feel much differently about this, but I feel like she's still with me. And so I'm going to, Try to keep her around for a while longer. I have no idea what that has to do with happiness, but um, there you are. I had to share it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Um, I hope you don't mind if I draw some conclusions or some points from that. Um, as long as I agree with them, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're thinking about that would be the end for her because of this. We have very strong conditioning in our culture now that we should be observing and determining when a pet should be put down. And if you've never experienced the sense that she's having any pain, why even think about that? Why not just let nature take its course? Of course, you're you're kind of interfering with nature a little bit when you're hydrating her, but that seems compassionate and innocent, you know, support. Well, can, I, can I just interject one thing? Yeah. So yesterday was the first time that she, let's say, missed the litter box and she peed mm-hmm. outside the box. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is some selfishness in that thought that has been arriving, yeah. which is, you know, I, 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 I rent and I can't, you know, yeah. The last, the last place I rented, I lost because a cat, you know, an old cat died in the closet. And I lost my, uh, I didn't lose it because of that, but I lost my security deposit because the landlady had to spend so much money cleaning the, the scent of, you know, stuff, I don't know, out of the carpet. So she said, so I'm thinking about stuff like that too. And I mean, if she can't, you know, but, but yes, no, I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. Well, living beings are messy. There's no, there's no two ways about it. 
And they're also expensive in our culture. So in a sense, yeah, um, there's going to be some mess. And yeah, something to think about, you know, something to think about when we take on um, having a living being under our care. How far am I willing to go with this living being? So just some thoughts and, and to like remember that being with any living being in this process of um, dying is, is quite a gift. Well, and just to add one thing so that you'll all hate me now. Oh, dear. <laughs> She's only three and a half. So consider, you know, how could I have even considered putting her to sleep? But my previous cat also died at three and a half. Oh. So I'm, so, you know, I'm starting to feel like, I better not have any more cats. I have bad voodoo or something. No. Thank you, Neil. Linda? Thank you, Aya. Um, no, it's just really beneficial to hear. And um, just a few things like popped into my mind. Um, and sort of taking in what the verses said and some of your comments and um, and just what comes to mind was that it feels like it kind of boils down to wise attention and wise association and um, just reflecting on that both in terms of how they support each other actually um, you know, like how the how the uh, how the divorce is ended, um, and just thinking about how they you know reinforce each other, um, and also just thinking about you know in a way kind of chuckling a little bit at you know yes, why is the tension possible, and um, and just the momentum of our um, mental habit patterns and you know, hard, how hard it is to remember when one is in the thick of things, you know, wise attention and, you know, use the word balance at one point and, and finding that balance of sort of letting it pass through without attaching to it and not like, you know, not bypassing it either. And, um, yeah. you know, just, it, it was also just really helpful to, to just reflect on the fact it, wise attention and wise association like in a way that's not complicated and yet um yeah and obviously certainly not easy so just something that you know just came up i mean the the, the reflections and the verse were beautiful and <laughs> and and as is that kind of simplicity of the point and um but I would just say, you know, any, any, if anything else arises, any other reflection on, I mean, other than yes, like the answer is the, the path, but, but any reflections on, 
um, you know, wise attention versus the power of habit patterns. Um, yeah. So I'll leave it at that. Well, this is crucial. This is like the core of the practice. Healthy mind, wholesome mental states. And our habit patterns are often like, how could they do that to me? <laughs> or this isn't the way I want it to be. Um, it shouldn't be like this. It's too soon. It's the wrong time. It, it's unfair. It's, you know, we go through a whole litany um, of what people have said, what people have done, what we've said, what we've done, what we've not done, you know, the whole thing. And if instead we were to look at the blessings in our life, even if we have one good friend, even if we just can tune in to YouTube and listen to a talk from a wise teacher, even if you know we have the ability to walk outside in the forest or nature somewhere, even if you know, we can still reflect, reflecting on our own behavior. How, how might I change myself in order to have more ease and be more um, easy to live with, to, to, to be with? Um, you know, there are just so many ways in which we can turn the mind to the wholesome to the reflections that help to lift us up and to make the way going forward smoother instead of that rough path of our old habit patterns. And to, and to really recognize too that we have the ability as human beings to change those habit patterns. When we think, well, I'm just, this is, this is the way I've always been. So what? <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> How many more lifetimes do you want to be like this? <laughs> you know, it's like there's a, we can do that. And the other thing that's just incredibly amazing is, you know, like like Neil was saying, we have this ability to reflect on our craving. We have the ability to reflect on our on our uh, you know the way the mind can come to peace in meditation. And we can feel it and we can know it and we can know that it's there and we can have a sense of how it happens. And we can, as human beings, draw in the spiritual energy, evoke it. We can, we can evoke care and love for someone halfway around the world, like Ling and her family. What an amazing ability. You can feel it in your whole body. This is this is a, a a kind of superpower, you know. We need to come back to, you know. We can be loving in the face of all kinds of challenges and difficulties. Selfless, you know. So, you know, to to really appreciate this amazing gift of being human and make use of it. Um, at every turn, instead of instead of our habit of being self-absorbed. So just a few like, ideas there. Yeah, thank you, Linda. James. 
Thank you, Aya. Um, I really appreciated the passage and it sort of brought up kind of um, conflicting feelings, really. Because you, you read it and you feel uplifted by like the human potential or the potential that uh that it suggests is there and how things could go but on the other hand then i think so i feel uplifted and happy and sort of joyful and grateful but then i feel like uh but it seems so far away you know it seems like there's so much work to do and um you look around in the world and and um you see there's lots of falls there really you know yeah. as, as it says but then 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 i remember to be grateful for my practice to to see how far i have come and remember to see that uh, though there are a lot of falls out there if you look they also have good qualities um that thinking of someone I know, they are in some ways very greedy and materialistic, but at the same time, they're also very giving to people around them and quite quite generous. So, you know, it's uh, so so yeah, it's like conflicted feelings. On the one hand, it's uplifting and and inspiring. On the other hand, it's kind of like oh, there's so much to do, and <laughs> it describes this perfect world that seems so far away and yeah <laughs> i guess oh it's it's yeah there's, there's so there's so much work to do but at least i'm on the way i suppose i don't know yeah i think uh, i think, I think the... When we think there's so much work to do, maybe it's better to just turn back to the present moment. Like, what's the work to do right in this moment? It's not overwhelming. Mm. You know, I can I can change this particular mental state. I can put my attention on the generosity of that person. And I can know that the, the part that's materialistic and greedy is suffering. Poor baby. <laughs> you know, this is part of human human life in samsara and so you know like having not to not to act like we don't see it all we need to have the wisdom to see it but we can put our attention on the good um, in a way that increases it and when we feel overwhelmed it's because we're moving into the future or we're we're trying to see like how do I manage all, all this whole heap when the whole heap isn't there at the same time? We can look, what, what is the work right now? Um, and that's really what gets us through the really tough times. What is the work before me right now? Okay, right now I've got to change the bandages. <laughs> and, and, then, and then we'll worry about feeding someone, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, it's like, well, it's, it's, it's doable. We keep going somehow, and um, and it. I love your reflection on yeah. There we have come a long way. There's a lot of good being stored up here, and I keep adding to it. 
it does paint a beautiful picture that um, you can draw upon for inspiration to carry you along, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it's it's more than it's more than a picture. You know, it's like we are storing up merit all the time. We are building our good qualities and our kama. We're changing our character in a positive direction. Every person, you know, who's willing to like tune in at this time, uh, you know, once a week or once a year, whatever it is, you know, you, every time we turn towards the Dhamma, we're, you know, we're developing that goodness and it matters. I try to keep things simple with not massive expectations. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, James. Julie? Hi, this is Kat with Julie, Julie's Hi, sister. Um, I want to try to put this as succinctly as possible because it, it's a struggle that I meet frequently when my mind is fatigued. It is thinking that the negative is reality and that attempts to turn towards happy thoughts is aversion um, and that the happy thoughts are, are less real than the negative thoughts. And by, and by shunning the negative to turn towards the happy, I'm somehow um, not practicing right and am, am complicit in a form of aversion. Does that make sense? It does. And, it, and it's important to see those nuances, you know, like, is is a version behind this um not not to make too much of it because if we um if we think well maybe there's some aversion in here and it's not like it's really in your face don't worry about it but if you know like to to recognize that kind of thinking that says well this uh, this this negativity, this is the this this is the real thing. We have to catch ourselves there and recognize that there is dark and light, both in everything. We can look at the dark. We can look at the light. We can see the dark in the light and the light in the dark. You know, we can we can see light in everything we can see dark in everything and and as we practice like that then we get more it's like we get more real you know to when we when you have that kind of idea that the real thing is the, the negative the downside remind yourself that no there's light in here too if we're if we're just like painting everything roses that's not true not in this world we got to know that there's the downside too. And when we when we look at it like that, try to come at it a bit more objectively. First of all, we need mindfulness. We're, we're strengthening our mindfulness. We're strengthening our wisdom so that we can see it all as it is. And that, you know, labeling it being a, um, I'm an optimist or I'm a pessimist. I see the dark, most, mostly the dark. I see mostly the light. That's just like touched with delusion. So when we really look, look at anything, 
You can see both. It's the nature of samsara. I mean, there's no job that you wholly like. There's no job that you completely hate. There's always parts of it that are the other side. And so, you know, just, just trying to help the mind become more objective, have the mindfulness. There's a bit of a separation. We're not owning it. We're just observing and just seeing the way it is, even our own body, even our mind, the thinking part of our mind, the habitual part of the mind. There's good things in there. There's not so good things in there. First step is seeing it and knowing which are good and which aren't. Then the Buddha, the Buddha talks about, you know, when he, he says, notice the mind, you look at the state of the mind. He says, know whether this mind is, has a desire in it or not. Is this mind consumed by ill will or not? Is this mind consumed by greed or not? You know, it's like, there's, there's just, or, you know, what is there? Is there sensual desire here or not? And then that's, that's it, you know, just know. That's the first step to really know, to see it. And then once we've accepted this is how it is right now, we can then start to move in the direction of doing something to change it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.